You're listening to Comedy Central. January 8, 2020. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. guest tonight is an old friend of The Daily Show who is now an author and a correspondent for CBS Sunday Morning. Mo Rocca is joining us, everybody! <laughs> also on tonight's show, America is getting a new prince. Your snacks have been lying to you. And Donald Trump heroically stops the war that he started. So let's catch up <laughs> on today's headlines. <laughs> let's kick it off with some big news from across the pond. Being a member of the royal family has always been one of the sweetest gigs you can have. You get an unlimited budget for hats, there's always free crumpets in the break room, and let's be honest, most of your job is just waving. <laughs> but now, two royal family members are turning in their two-week notice. There was a rather stunning announcement today from across the pond. Prince Harry and wife Meghan Markle say they're stepping away as senior members of the royal family. They announced it on Instagram, and boy, social media is blowing up over it. The couple made that announcement saying they'll split their time between the UK and North America, and they will work to become financially independent. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> this is huge. Harry and Meghan are leaving the palace to become financially independent. <laughs> and you see, you see, this is what happens when you bring the first black woman into the royal family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She looked at Harry and she's like, nigga, you need to get a job. You need a job. You a grown ass man. You can't still be living in your mama's house, Harry. <laughs> What's funny is that no matter what job Prince Harry gets, you realize he's still gonna be Prince Harry, right? Can you imagine being his boss when he screws up? Like, what do you call him in and say, Prince Harry, get in here, your majesty. You blew the Henderson account, my lord. Clean out your desk and may God save the queen. <laughs> now, the big question is, if Harry and Meghan come to America, where are they gonna live? Everyone wants to know. I think they'll move to LA because Meghan is an actor, right? And then she's gonna wanna work again. And then Harry can just join the cast of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, yeah. <laughs> Just be like fighting on TV. I know what you said about me, Diddy. Say it to my face. <laughs> All right, moving on to the opposite of royalty. Harvey Weinstein, disgraced Hollywood producer and man who's somehow uglier on the inside. <laughs> His sexual assault trial has just begun here in New York, and Harvey is already on the judge's bad side. Jury selection in Harvey Weinstein's sexual assault trial resumes today after some drama in court. The judge threatened to revoke the Hollywood producer's bail Tuesday because he kept using his phone in court. The judge said, quote, is this really the way you want to end up in jail? By texting? Weinstein's team calls it a misunderstanding. Yeah, Harvey Weinstein got into trouble yesterday because he kept pulling his phone out in court. Yeah, because apparently he can't keep anything in his pants. <laughs> I actually feel bad for the judge in this situation because you have to uphold the law, but then also be a middle school teacher. You know, it's just like, are you texting? Give me your phone. You spit out your gum. And damn it, I told you to stop jerking off, Harvey. Come on. <laughs> I will tell you, this is how you know phones are addictive, though. This guy's on trial for his life, and he's sitting in that courtroom like, I could go to prison forever. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what Disney character I am. Oh, let's see. 
Oh, Ursula, I should have known. <laughs> and finally, what would you do if you were walking down the street and heard someone screaming for help? Well, don't rush to call the cops because it may not be what you think. A concerned neighbor in Florida called 911 after hearing someone screaming, let me out. Turns out the cries were from a pet parrot. <laughs> the parrot's owner says sheriff's deputies pulled up to his house after getting the call. He explained that the culprit was his 40-year-old parrot named Rambo. When he showed them the parrot, he says they burst out laughing. The owner says that he taught Rambo to say let me out when he was a kid. Okay. Okay, hold on. So this dude says he taught his parrot to scream, let me out. And the cops just accepted that? You guys don't want to look in the house just in case? Because that bird might have picked it up from someone else, if you know what I mean. Yeah, the parrot's like, wow, let me out. It's like, ha, I taught him how to say that. I'm in the basement. Oh, you see, it's not what, I was kidnapped by a man with a parrot. Wah! Although, wouldn't it be a funny twist if the cops arrested that guy, but it turns out that the parrot was just framing him so that it could have the house to itself? Yeah, now the owner's in prison and the bird is throwing all-night parties, just hanging out with women, you know, just like, wah, hello, ladies. It's like, wow, I've never met a parrot who owns a house. Quack, that's right. Unlike Harry, I've got my own crib. Quack. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. Over the past 24 hours, we've seen huge developments in the conflict between the U.S. and Iran. So let's catch up on all the latest in our ongoing segment, War in the Middle East. This time, it's Persianal. It's no exaggeration to say the world has been on edge ever since the United States killed Qasem Soleimani, Iranian general and evil Sean Connery. And everyone was wondering how Iran would respond. Well, last night, we found out. Overnight, Iran taking revenge, launching a barrage of missiles, targeting two U.S. military bases and coalition troops in Iraq. This, Iran said, was its vengeance for the U.S.'s killing of its top general. There were at least two waves of attacks. Then Iran's foreign minister tweeted his country was ready to step back if there was no American counterattack. And this morning, no reports of U.S. coalition or Iraqi casualties. We've just heard from the Iraqi prime minister office that they did indeed receive notification from the Iranians that there would be a strike. That was a full five hours and 45 minutes before those missiles came in. That's right. Last night, Iran launched 15 missiles at American forces in Iraq. But in an interesting twist, they killed no one, hurt no one, and gave the Iraqi bases a six-hour heads up, which is a lot of warning. It's almost like they were sitting there like, let's give them one hour notice. It's like, but sir, what if they're watching the Irishman? Okay. <laughs> six hours. Give them six hours. <laughs> they need time. So Iran fired 15 missiles, gave one giant warning, and basically missed everything, which most people agree means that Iran wants this thing to go away. They wanted to respond to the, to the United States in a way that would let them keep their pride, but then also not in a way that would escalate this conflict into a war. In fact, in international diplomacy, this type of action is known as a hold me back, bro. <laughs> and, and clearly it worked. It clearly worked. Because after the missile attack, President Trump sent out a tweet saying, all is well. Yeah. 
which was hilarious because the tweet was composed like Trump was writing a letter from the front lines of the Civil War. <laughs> My dearest Twitter, all is well. Missiles launched from Iran. So far, so good. I hope to see you soon. Please kiss Ivanka for me and not Eric. Sincerely, Donald, hashtag MAGA, hashtag read the transcript. So. It seemed like Iran was stepping down. Trump was happy with their decision. And today, the president addressed the nation to give everybody an update. And I'm not gonna lie, the address started out a little weird. <laughs> as long as I'm president of the United States, Iran will never be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. Good morning. Okay, okay. Is it, is it just me, or, or did Trump find a way to make this national address sound like the beginning of an infomercial, yeah? <laughs> Iran will never have nuclear weapons. Hi, I'm Donald Trump. <laughs> Tired of missile strikes when you aren't even home? <laughs> so, a really weird start, but fortunately, once Trump got into the meat of his speech, he reassured everybody that at least for the moment, the beef with Iran has been squashed. Iran appears to be standing down which is a good thing for all parties concerned and a very good thing for the world. The civilized world must send a clear and unified message to the Iranian regime. Your campaign of terror, murder, mayhem will not be tolerated any longer. <laughs> These historic accomplishments change our strategic priorities. Ah. <laughs> oh, what, what was that? Tolerated? A compliment shades? <laughs> Trump's mouth was missing more targets than those Iranian missiles. <laughs> and now, and now, personally, personally, honestly, I'm glad. I'm glad that Iran and Donald Trump seem to have agreed to let things settle down, right? Because Trump got what he wanted, killed the general, and it didn't escalate into anything. This is a win for him, but I pray I pray that Donald Trump doesn't start watching Fox News again anytime soon, because for them, all is not well. They're gonna get hit hard. Their hostility will now be met with the full force of the greatest, most advanced, most sophisticated military this world has ever seen. This president will unleash holy hell on that regime. The mullahs only understand one language, and that's the language of death, um, sadly. And if death is what we have to give them to stop this, then sadly, that's what we have to do. Number one, target not just the oil, to target the launch sites that fired those 15 missiles today. Ollie North is right. It's, it, it is oil refineries, oil infrastructure. It is key missile sites. It's nuclear development sites. Throw in some ports, key infrastructure. And you know what? Why not a Quds headquarters uh, for, 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 for good nature on top of it? What? Throw in some ports and infrastructure while you're at... This is wild. This dude is just adding bombing targets like he's making impulse buys at the register. You know what? Throw in chapstick and Snickers and a drone strike in an airport, because daddy got paid. <laughs> Seriously, what the hell is going on at Fox? Huh? America droned a general. They killed someone, killed multiple people, in fact. And Iran responded with warning shots. 
Nobody got killed. Why would anyone want more violence after that? It doesn't make sense. So to help us find out, we're joined by our senior war correspondent, Michael Costa, everybody. <laughs> Michael, this is so confusing right now. Why on earth mm-hmm. are there still people who want to go to war with Iran when they've clearly tapped out of the fights? Well, because you see, Trevor, bombing Iran is America's only option. Iranians don't speak the language of peace. The only words these people understand are boom, kapow, blammo, ah, he got me, tell my hot Persian wife she can remarry Michael Costa. Oh, Michael, I'm so glad I'm with you now. Okay, okay stop, 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 stop that, stop that. Michael, that's, that's not true, though. It's not true. Iran went out of their way to not kill anybody. Yeah, yeah, all the more reason to bomb them, okay? They scared the shit out of us for nothing, all right? I wasn't supposed to spend my Tuesday night cowering in my studio apartment. I was supposed to spend it cheating at bar trivia. The trick is to look at your phone. (laughs) Wait, wait, Costa, you're saying the U.S. should bomb Iran if they escalate, but then you're saying that they should bomb Iran if they de-escalate. Now you're getting it. Look, that might be your position, but luckily today, the president said he wants to get Iran back to the negotiating table. Okay, yes, and the negotiating table is the perfect place for a surprise bomb, okay? We're ready for peace, just kidding. Boom! Ah! Costa can marry my wife, too! Michael, you're really eager to fight a war in the Middle East, it seems. Well, Well, not me. Trevor, (laughs) I wouldn't say this shit if I had to go fight. You know, this is how it is on the news. We just talk and other people go do the fighting. Plus, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover of Persian women. Oh, Michael, Michael, I'm so sorry about what happened to your husband. You're disgusting, man. Michael Costa, everybody, we'll be right back. Are you just gonna go on the Persian women? What? You want them to die something on sex with Persian women? It's a new year, which means many laws that were passed last year are now going into effect. So tonight, we're gonna take a look at some of the laws you need to know about in our ongoing segment, New Laws, Who Dis? First up, Arkansas. It's one of the top 50 states in America. And now, a new law there is shaking up the world of science. The natural state is taking a stance against human cloning. A new law in Arkansas bans public funding for human cloning or destructive embryo research. The penalty, a class A misdemeanor and $1,000 fine. Ah, sorry, people of Arkansas. New year, no new you. That's right. (laughs) If you try to do human cloning in Arkansas, you will face a $1,000 fine, which doesn't seem like enough to stop someone from doing it. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I don't know if there's a mad scientist somewhere who's like, my clone army will take over the world. Wait, a thousand dollars? forget it. I'll go back to the car wash. <laughs> For real, a thousand dollars is not much of a fine you know, to get a clone. Like, especially if you can just split the fine with your clone, then it's half. <laughs> you know who I really feel bad for? All the twins in Arkansas. Yeah, because the cops are gonna be stopping them all the time. Like, we don't take the clones around here. It's like, no, we were born this way. Prove it. Describe your mom's vagina. But the new laws of 2020 aren't just about what you can do with your body. Some of them are also about what you are putting into it. 
On New Year's Day, the FDA's new nutrition labeling rules kicked in, launching a host of changes to the way that manufacturers are required to label packaged foods. One of the biggest changes that you'll notice requires large food manufacturers to list two different columns on the nutrition labels for their products. So one listing the nutrition facts for a single serving, the other new label listing the nutrition facts for the entire package. So think bag of chips, pint of ice cream, anything not good for that New Year's resolution. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. This has been pissing me off for so long. How are you gonna put the serving and then the bag is another serving? Like, I picked up a bag of chips and it's like 100 calories. I'm like, oh, that's great. Then after I eat the bag, I look back, and it's like five servings per bag. What the hell? Why would you put five servings into one bag? What, do you think I'm gonna call four of my friends? Like, hey, do you guys wanna come over? I've got a bag of chips. But even with the new label, a lot of people don't even understand what calories mean. So I think they need to give us practical information, you know? Like how much your tummy will hurt after you eat the food. Yeah, how many pimples you'll get the next day. Maybe like a scratch and sniff label to let you know how your farts will smell after you eat the food. Yeah, so you can be like, oh, goddamn. Now nah, I'm still gonna eat them. I do like having the information though, I won't lie. In fact, I wish they did it for more than just food. Wouldn't it be great if people came with warning labels with nutrition, yeah? So you knew what you were getting into when you meet someone? Be like, wow, two servings of douchebag. Okay, okay. Well, I can work with that. I can work with it. And finally, while the FDA is working to be more transparent, New Jersey has a new law allowing some things to stay private. 18 new laws going to effect in New Jersey this year. One of the most talked about is a law barring employers from using salary history to screen potential workers. The bill's sponsors says employers were previously able to ask about salary history, which they argue perpetuated a wage gap that favored men over women. Okay, now this is actually a great law. Because you see, before this, instead of paying people based on the work, some employers were underpaying people based on their previous earnings, which was suppressing especially women's wages. You don't get paid well, you go to the next job, they're like, how much were you paid? We'll pay you the same, but a little bit more. The wage gap just continued to grow. But now, bosses can't ask that question. I bet they're gonna find ways to try, though. You know, yeah, this is gonna be like, so uh, when you watch Hulu, do you have ads? <laughs> No, okay, okay, okay. Can you start on Monday? Okay. <laughs> so hopefully this new law will help a lot of people because your past salary shouldn't determine what you get in the future. I mean, imagine if that happened with other things in life. Like when you get into a new relationship, they negotiate based on your previous one. You know, you'd be like, so my ex only lasted two minutes in bed. We're like, okay, well, great. Uh, I'll bump that up to three and a half. Is that good? Yeah, <laughs> we'll be right back. My guest tonight is a correspondent for CBS Sunday Morning and a best-selling author whose latest book is called Mobituaries, Great Lives Worth Reliving. Please welcome Mo Rocca. <laughs> love it from this perspective. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. And congratulations me. on another book. Another book, that's right. Thank right. you for remembering. <laughs> what, what's fascinating is you, you, you wrote a book uh, before this that was a smash hit. It was about presidents and their pets. 
right? That's right. And then... Um, the smash hit part, but okay. It was, yes, about presidential it pets. It did very well for a book about presidents and their pets. It, right. it was the best performing presidents and their pets exactly. book. Exactly. Thank you. That's a hit in this my book. I yep. love spin. Right. Um, and you didn't do that again. Is it because Trump doesn't have a pet? That is true that he's the first president um, to not have a pet in the White House. Chester Allen Arthur burned all of his papers, but um, so we don't know for sure that he had pets, but my understanding is he had a goldfish. I'm not making this up. Um, uh, but, um, but Donald Trump does not, have, does not have a pet. Right. Millard Fillmore also didn't have a pet, but he was the vice president of the ASPCA for the Buffalo chapter when he left the White House, so that counts. What, what I always find um, really I can't believe you freakish, up on that. freakish about you is that you, you just have all of this information yeah. in your head. You, you're like a, like a presidential buff. Like you just, you just love information about presidents. Any trivia about presidents. Yeah, I, 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 I love presidential factoids. And I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. And, and seriously, when you grow up in the D.C. area, sort of the president is kind of the above the, the title film star. I imagine it's the equivalent of growing up in L.A., and looking through the Paramount gates in a way. Right. But, so I've always been kind of fascinated in the presidency. This book is interesting, though, because you wrote about people in this book. It's like Mobituaries, which is a play on your name, but Obituaries as well. Great lives worth reliving. You went with all of the people who we almost wouldn't know about, you know? So it, it's not about Jimmy Carter. It's about someone in Jimmy Carter's family. You know, it's yeah. not about Rosa Parks. It's about another woman of color, a black woman, who decided to ride on a tram when she wasn't allowed to and it was all white. It's like, why did you choose these characters? How did you find them? You know, I, this kind of marginalized history, these people that I don't think got the send-off they deserve. And it's... I know it sounds silly when we're talking about serious subjects like Elizabeth Jennings, the Rosa Parks of New York, but it feels good. It's fun to know this stuff. Right. I like that. And, uh, and, um, and I thought people, especially these kind of pockets of progress um, that have been forgotten, I think are important to know about that history doesn't move in a straight line. So somebody like Elizabeth Jennings, almost exactly 100 years before Rosa Parks, right. she's booted off of a, uh, a streetcar in New York City and she hires a future president in fact, Chester Allen Arthur. I can't believe this is the first interview ever where Chester Allen Arthur has been name-checked <laughs> twice. But she hires a young Chester Allen Arthur to defend her in civil court, and she wins. And this leads to the integration of New York City's Transportation Authority shortly after the Civil War. And I thought, that's kind of nuts that people don't know this. Every single story in this book feels like stories you would want to just have in your brain to be the most interesting person in a room. Yes. Right? Because, no, really, because it's like one of the stories that blew my mind here is when you were, like, I didn't know the history of the term Siamese twins, right? right. Conjoined twins. But then originally people were like Siamese twins. And I didn't know that it came from two twins from the region that was once known as Siam, which was right. Thailand. And you tell this story, which is fascinating because they're conjoined twins. And then they come to America, they're brought to America, they're a sideshow, then they go on to become slave owners. Right. It's, so you're like cheering for them the whole time in the story. Yeah. And then at some point you're like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> you're like, oh, I almost completely loved you. Right. And you just screwed it up at the last second. <laughs> you had so, to go and become slave owners. Right. Ah. But that made it to me, uh, it's certainly a more complicated story, a richer story, and a story more worth telling. I mean, they are kind of, they're immigrants, they're, their names are Chang and Ang Bunker. They're two of the first celebrities in America. They're once wildly famous. They're pull yourself up by your bootstraps, they win their freedom, and then they own slaves. Um, 
And it's sort of like the story of America, the good and the not good, right. all in one. I mean, they pack it all into that story. And, um, I, you know, and, and I was drawn to them because I remembered as a kid growing up, people my age will remember in the Guinness Book of World Records, there was this, this picture of them. It's like the picture of the conjoined twins. And, uh, and there was this whole story behind that. What is your favorite story like, that everyone you think should know about that they don't know about? Oh boy, I have so many that I love. I love the story of Billy Carter um, because um, Billy Carter, the younger brother of Jimmy Carter, mm -hmm. w is remembered by most people, if at all, as kind of a buffoon, kind of a joke, a caricature of a redneck. Um, and he, in fact, I went and I talked to President Jimmy Carter about him to his widow and his six kids. And they describe a man who was hardworking, who was very funny, and we know this from interviews, profiles that were done of him, um, and a man who was struggling with alcoholism and in the last proud chapter of his life ministered to people um, that could relate to him about this. Right. Um, and, you know, here he is in a small, tiny town in southwest Georgia living his life. His brother decides to run for president. The media descends. I mean, how would you, how would anyone handle that? The business, the family business was then put into a blind trust. Right. Quaint, I know. <laughs> and um, those were the days. And, uh, um, and so he has no choice but to make his living at being Billy Carter. Right. Kind of being a caricature of himself, but a complicated and decent man, like when you really learn about him. And uh, so I wanted to be generous and I wanted to be compassionate. I think obituaries are the one place in journalism where the rule of thumb is, and I think should be, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Oh, that's interesting. Giving people the benefit of the doubt. When you die, I mean, come on. <laughs> you're gone. Right. You're I mean, gone. I mean, unless you're a war criminal, that's different. Oh, then no doubt. Right. Yeah, you know. Some, some doubt or no doubt at all? The, oh, no benefit of doubt. No benefit of the doubt. None at all. No, no nice stories about how Nothing. they like puppies and all that. No. Got it, got it. What if it was like puppy-loving war criminal dead? Or would you not even include the puppy-loving part? Two-part series. Ah, war criminal dead. Right. Also loved puppies. Yeah, that's an insect. Ah, we inside, put that deep inside the story. Right. If you get yeah. that far, also if you love get puppies. That, but we want to make sure you get to the war criminal part. Got it, first. got it, got it. Puppies could not be reached for comments. Right, right. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thanks, being on the show. Trevor, really A great. fascinating book. Mobituary is available now. A really fun read. More rock, everybody. Thank you very much. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 